0: Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is marking one full year in office. What did he learn in that first year, and where will he focus in 2020? All that coming up in this edition of Capital Cast. Hello, and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. It was one year ago this week that Democrat J.B. Pritzker was sworn into office. A businessman from Chicago who had never held elected office before, he inherited the reins of a state government that was deep in debt and that hadn't had a balanced budget in years. But in just his first year, he managed to push through a mountain of legislation, an increase in the minimum wage, Legalization of marijuana, a $45 billion capital improvement plan, a massive gambling expansion to help pay for it, and a balanced state budget. We spoke with Governor Pritzker by phone to talk about that first year and about what he has planned for the coming year. And we started off by asking him what he's learned about state government that he didn't know coming into the job.
1: Well, I, you know, I had. Uh, certainly, from an from outside of government, had seen that government had been hollowed out, and that there were agencies that just weren't fulfilling their functions properly. Uh, but you know, but it isn't until you get inside of the agencies that you see just how bad it really is. Um, that that they hadn't been fulfilling their mission. Um, in part because of uh, you know uh, uh, morale in part because of a failure to fill positions that are authorized to be filled um, and in part because there's a failure of mission uh, and and direction and so when I came into office it was frankly worse than I thought and so I have worked very hard over the course of my first year to, change that and to set us in the right direction. And we have made real progress. I'll I give you one example, if I may. Um, we uh, walked into office and found that there was a uh, backlog of uh, people who had applied for Medicaid, uh, many of whom are eligible for Medicaid, and those who have applied for what's called redetermination uh, so year in, year in, year out, Medicaid recipients have to reapply. Um, that, that backlog had grown to 140,000 people. That's basically because under my predecessor, they had stopped processing those applications. And so when we walked into office, 140,000 backlog, and we had to work very, very hard to address that, uh, we have basically cut that in half uh, in, in just a year, uh, which is a very hard thing to do because we were already understaffed. Uh, so I just am giving you an example of, you know, things that were surprising to me that we really had to jump on and address right away.
0: Okay. So looking ahead to 2020, um, aside from everything coming up in the general assembly, you have a lot riding on the proposed constitutional amendment. Um, do you have a plan B if that should fail at the ballot box?
1: Well, let me just say that I think the state has a lot riding on making sure that it can balance its budget uh, for, you know, for the next decade or more. Um, and uh, so, it, it, it as you know, my number one focus has been bringing stability uh, and fiscal responsibility to state government. And you've seen a variety of ways in which I've done that. Um, We balanced the budget uh, for the first time in a very long time uh, this last, you know, for fiscal year 2020. And, uh, but there is a structural deficit that exists of more than $2 billion. And there are only a few ways to address that. And uh, one of them is to make the tax system fairer. Uh, One of them, of course, is to Uh, bring efficiency to state government. Uh, And uh, another is, of course, to make sure we're growing the economy of the state, because ultimately, that's the best way to bring in revenue for the state is simply for the economy to grow more people to be working more businesses to be operating and doing better in our state.
0: Okay, so one alternative then is um, the possibility of budget cuts, if this initiative doesn't pass, Um, the state has growing obligations, escalating obligations for K-12 education and uh, for public pensions. Do you foresee the possibility of any any cuts in the coming year uh, for other agencies?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, let's uh, pay attention to the fact that uh, if we don't uh, make the tax system fairer, uh, we will... We would have to, if you've just relied upon cuts in state government, you'd have to cut the basic functions, the discretionary functions of state government. When I say discretionary, I mean education and uh, public safety, police and uh, human services. You'd have to cut all of that by between 10 and 15 percent. Now, this is after years of hollowing out of those agencies and those functions. So that that is certainly something that could be done. I want to reiterate something that um, that that Governor Edgar said to me uh, before I became governor. I went to talk to him uh, to get his advice about, you know, things that he thought we ought to be doing and observations that he had from his own time as governor. And he said something to me that that will always stay with me. And that is that the most important thing that a governor does is to propose and get past a balanced budget for the state and a truly balanced budget. And uh, I've taken that very seriously. And so I will, you know, address that, uh, you know, in a budget speech that'll come up in February. uh, And of course, in the proposed budget that I'll be putting forward. Uh, But we have to balance the budget, however that gets done. And like I said, there are three components of that. It's You know, it's revenues, it's uh, efficiencies and expenses, and it's uh, growing the economy of the state.
0: Can we expect to see any new initiatives uh, in the coming year? You've talked about early childhood education, uh, child development kinds of programs, uh, child care. Uh, Are are we going to see anything like that in your budget address?
1: Well, yes, of course. I mean, there are lots of things that we need to address in our state. When you say new proposals, um, you know, some of them are about uh, growing the economy uh, of the state. We, we have uh, big challenges that we that, you know, I'm uh, well equipped to address, I think, in uh, attempting to stoke the fires of entrepreneurship in our state. Uh, bringing new businesses to the state of Illinois and incentivizing that. You know, we accomplished quite a lot last year uh, in uh, providing incentives for businesses to grow and come to the state of Illinois, Uh, and I'm very proud of those. There were, you know, literally uh, major incentives that we put in place Uh, that are good for the state. For example, we are attracting data centers to Illinois because we implemented a data center tax incentive. Um, We're attracting more uh, 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 building and and construction in the state uh, as a result of the Blue Collar Jobs Act. Um, You know, we've, of course, created more apprenticeship positions by incentivizing apprenticeships through a tax credit. So um, so these are are examples of things we did in the past. And yes, I will be making proposals uh, for growing the economy and for making sure that we're addressing our most serious challenges. I'll just remind you that every day I think about the, you know, the five fiscal challenges that, that we always have to keep in mind our pensions, We've got to bring down property taxes in our state. We've got to balance the budget. We've got to pay down our bill backlog and eliminate it. And we've got to grow the economy. And I think about all five of those every day.
0: Okay. Do you have high hopes for the property tax relief task force? Uh, They have a draft report out now. Uh, The final report should be coming out at some point uh, before the session starts.
1: Well, I... uh, I appreciate the work of the property uh, relief task force. And, um, you know, I've had uh, many productive conversations with members of the task force. Uh, And I'm certainly hopeful that they'll come forward with all of their ideas. But I want to point out that I've been already working to alleviate the property tax burden across the state. For example, um, funding local schools makes up about 60 percent of the total property tax burden and our budget increased state support for school funding to historic levels. So that alleviates some of the burden. Um, the second largest driver of property taxes is municipal pensions, which you saw, you know, our uh, the local pension plans, uh, which you saw, we consolidated the police pensions and the fire pensions which, again, will alleviate a burden uh, on property taxes. And finally, the uh, infrastructure bill that we got passed, a record infrastructure bill, uh, will uh, will alleviate the burden on local governments of infrastructure needs because a, a mild majority of all of the, the, the dollars, the revenue that we are raising actually goes to local governments or their infrastructure needs, not the state's needs, which get talked a lot about, but actually dollars going directly to local government. So when you add all that up, that allows local government to uh, lower the property tax burden on people.
0: Okay, last thing, school consolidation. Uh, That is apparently going to be one of the proposals coming out, consolidating the elementary districts and the high school districts into unitary districts. Uh, is, is that something you're willing to consider? Oh, sure. I mean,
1: look, I think there are a lot of
0: ideas that
1: that that uh, will come forward. I've, I've heard a number of them. Remember, these legislators have not been reticent to talk to me directly about their ideas, because, you know, they want, you know, each one of them would like their idea to be the one uh, that we move forward with, or to be one of the ones we move forward with. But, uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think, you uh, uh, Local government consolidation, I think, school district consolidation; those are both areas in which we could uh, yield savings for for taxpayers in terms of property taxes. Uh, and I look forward to hearing what all of the proposals are uh, that come out of the report itself. Um, but again, I'm, you know, I'm I'm very focused on making sure that we make real progress uh, to lower the burden on people across the state.
0: That was Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker reflecting on his first full year in the governor's office. And here to help analyze all that, we turn to Capitol News Illinois reporter Jerry Nowicki, who, I need to point out, is also our new State House bureau chief. Jerry? Hey, Peter. Yeah, so what struck you the most about that, about what the governor had to say?
2: So his focus on the budget is really important, of course, after you observed, we observed uh, two years of Governor Rauner that didn't really have any budget at all, and the backlog grew. Uh, the attention on what he said was the five um, main things for taxpayers and whatnot is really important. Uh, one of the things we didn't really get into, we you know, we all had a very short window to speak with the governor, because I think he spoke to just about every reporter in the just state. Just about every
0: news organization in the state house. yeah.
2: Right. So, one of the things we didn't touch on is this ongoing scandal that's sort of above everyone's head, you know, and
0: the th- ongoing federal investigation into corruption from all different
2: angles, right? But any number of things, um, email scandals and all that. But it, it's really striking to me because his independence and his independent wealth uh, makes him less reliant on some of the money that would have passed through some of the hands of the characters in the scandal. And uh, for a, partly, and it's been mostly Democrats in this probe, from from what we know publicly, and he's been somewhat able to remain above that fray, which is kind of a striking thing, considering it's his party that seems to be largely under investigation.
0: And do you think it's his independence, uh, the fact that he hasn't been part of the political machine his whole life, uh, and that he's independently wealthy, was did that contribute to his success in the first year?
2: I think it must have. I'm, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people about this, and for a billionaire worth roughly about $4 billion, uh, he mentioned in there one of the he, what he calls the fair tax, the progressive income tax, is one of his top priorities. And it seems to me that's a much easier sell for someone with that kind of wealth. It's not class warfare, it's saying, hey, I've got this money. More of it should be going. I to should government. be paying more
0: than you pay. Yeah, we've right. heard him say that a lot. Um,
2: you know, whereas yeah. uh, someone who doesn't make that type of money, it's it, it's, it seems to be a harder sell.
0: And yeah. I tried to get out of him uh, what his plan B is if that progressive income tax doesn't pass, um, because without that, his long-term plans. For increased investments in certain areas and long term stability of the budget is really in jeopardy.
2: Yeah, in previous uh, interviews, and a lot of the people in the House and Senate have said, you know, it's either draconian cuts or at least a one percentage increase to the flat tax. So the flat tax is, of course, 4.95% right now for all income. That would be up to at least 595, maybe more, if they wanted to make up the three and a half billion, um, roughly, that they're expecting to get from uh, the rates they've set for the progressive tax.
0: And Republicans would argue, though, that the state doesn't have a revenue problem. It has a spending problem. Um, how, how true is that, do you think?
2: I mean, how true it is, I don't really know.
0: Um, I mean, there are certain things we can't get out of the the pension obligations, for example. Uh, the backlog of unpaid bills. They've got to get paid at some point.
2: Right, and uh, you read all these reports uh, about DCFS and all these other underfunded things, and you read mm. national reports about how poorly Illinois' education has been funded, although, as he notes, we're uh, working towards better funding it from a state level. So,
0: Okay, so it, while he wants to overhaul the income tax system, uh, we also just had this... Uh, big property tax relief task force uh, that's talking about school consolidation, local government consolidation, uh, all kinds of things there. Uh, somebody was down here recently talking about school consolidation, said, uh, you know, mascots are a real hard thing to kill. Um, yeah. And especially this being an election year, do we really see school district consolidation going anywhere?
2: Um, I, you know... Some of the stuff, some of the more interesting proposals I have followed have been, you keep your mascot, you keep your school identity, but you get one superintendent for say two districts that are 10 miles down the road and whatever.
0: We have this system in Illinois, in a lot of parts of Illinois, where an elementary school is its own district and then a high school is its own district. Um, And they each have their own superintendents. They have their own boards of education. So there's some thought that there could be some efficiencies, administrative efficiencies, by combining those into unit districts.
2: Yeah, and one of the proposals uh, Senator Republican senator from Morris, Sue Rezin, had last year was that she'd allow voters to kind of force that. But I I don't see how the state could uh, mandate, you know, hey, Leroy and Downs or whoever, you Mm -hmm. have to consolidate your school districts. I I don't see how the state could mandate that without giving voters some sort of local control.
0: So what, what do we see coming up uh, in 2020 uh, legislatively? Uh, clearly property tax is going to be a big issue. Ethics reform is going to be a big issue. Right. Uh, the budget is always a big issue.
2: Yeah, for the next 10 years, the budget will kind of be a big issue. But, of course, the graduated tax will be decided by voters in November. Um, and then uh, Governor Pritzker had kind of telegraphed uh, at a news conference last week that one of his main priorities will be criminal justice reform. He wants to get rid of cash bail altogether. Uh, There's going to be some pushback, especially from downstate prosecutors and police departments, uh, sheriffs in that regard. Um, That'll be one of the main things, but, you know, fiscal condition of the state is going to be a big thing for decades.
0: And of course, one of the other things coming up uh, this coming Sunday, uh, before the session starts, we'll have a new Senate president. Uh, Who's in the running for that? And what do we see possibly happening here?
2: Yeah, uh, the two that have been, uh, you know, showed up in the press the most over the past months are uh, Kimberly Lightford of Chicago and Don Harmon of Oak
0: Park. Um, Kimberly Lightford, of course, is the current majority leader in the Senate. Right. And Don Harmon uh, is from Oak Park, who's been pretty influential
2: in the Senate for some time. Yeah, assistant majority leader. Um and then there's of course rumors of dark horse candidates uh you know i i can't make a prediction on this i think there's a lot of alliances being formed in the shadows and support going which way or another
0: and of course a lot of people don't like to come out and commit to somebody who ends up losing uh, you want to be on the winning side of course so right there might be a lot of uncommitted votes out there
2: yeah i think there's 39 seated senators uh officially and the president's not going to vote so it's you're looking at 20 votes uh, needed to have half the caucus and from what I hear nobody has reached that threshold.
0: Okay well we'll have to wait and see what happens. That's it for Capital Cast this week. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next week thank you for listening.